fully understood this until the last several weeks in studying this. If you think about and if you are a student of the Word of God, would it surprise you to know that one of the most well-used words in the book of Genesis is the word walked? I wouldn't think of in the book of Genesis that the word walked or walk would be a, a verse that we, or a word that we use. Genesis chapter 3, I want you to turn there with me. If you can't, I will read together Genesis chapter number 3. I want to show you where God begins to walk with man. Genesis first, chapter 3, verse number 8, the Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. God had fellowship one-on-one -on -one with Adam in the Garden of Eden. What Do you believe that? The Bible tells us this in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Genesis, that God would come down and walk with Adam in the cool of the day. And you think about that, one of the key words in the book of Genesis is walked. The Bible tells us in Genesis that Adam walked with God. It also tells us that Enoch walked with God. It tells us that Noah walked with God. And it tells us that Abraham walked with God. But then a great change happened. From the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus, something happened. You will not find God walking with man in the book of, Je book of Exodus. You're not going to find it. Matter of fact, if you took, as I did this week, and you look at any form of that word walked or walk, you're not going to find it in the book of Exodus. Why? Something changed in the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. God coming and dwelling with man or coming and walking with man changed. A great change. God didn't walk with man after the book of Genesis. Instead, now he dwelled with man. Now, we're going to look at that dwelling in Exodus chapter 25. You can, if you can go there with me, Exodus chapter 25. And I want you to look at verse number 8. So now God is not walking with man, but God is dwelling with man. In verse number 8 of chapter 25, the book of Exodus, it says this, And let them make me a sanctuary, read it together please, that I may what? I may dwell among them. Now I want you to turn to Exodus chapter number 40. Exodus chapter number 40. When did that happen? So God now is not walking with man. God is dwelling with man. So first, how did that happen? First, his first sanctuary was the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? It was a tent. It was not a permanent structure. It was a tent that had exotic pieces of furniture uh, in, inside of it and divided uh, the holy place and the holy of holies. But you think about this. The first sanctuary, the tabernacle, when Moses dedicated the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord came down and moved into that tabernacle. Look at chapter 40 and verse 33 through verse 35. And he reared up the court around about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hangings of the court, uh, court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Go back and study that word glory. It's going to mean this. 
the presence or the splendor of God made appearance in the tabernacle. Are you with me? So God no longer walked with man as he did in the book of Genesis. Now God is dwelling among man. First in the tabernacle, God dwelled in the camp of Israel. But he did not dwell permanently in the lives of the individual Jewish people. You think about this. Unfortunately, look at 1 Samuel chapter 4. I told you we're going to use a lot of scripture this morning. 1 Samuel chapter number 4. So we see, first of all, in the tabernacle, 1 Samuel chapter number 4, and look at verse number 21. 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse number 21. The Bible says, And she named the, name, the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. Remember we saw this in Exodus? We saw how the glory of God filled the tabernacle. We saw that means the presence or the splendor of God coming on that temporary dwelling. Now in 1 Samuel, a lady is giving birth. Now watch what it says. And she named the child Ichabod saying, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her, uh, her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel. For the ark of God is taken. So you look at this. Unfortunately, the nation of Israel sinned and the glory of God departed. Did it not? That's what it's talking about here. But you think about then. Later on, I want you to turn to 1 Kings. <coughs> I want you to turn to 1 Kings. <coughs> excuse me. Chapter number 8. Did the glory of God ever reappear? 1 Kings chapter 8, a lot of verses here. Let's read together verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 1. <clears throat> then Solomon appeared, the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes of the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves together unto King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethaman, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were before him, before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen, that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto the place in the oracle of the house to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof, uh, thereof above. And they drew out the staves, <coughs> and the ends of the staves were seen in the holy place before the oracle that were not seen without, and there they are unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, which the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests, now follow me, were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand the minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. 
Then spake Solomon the Lord, saith that he would dwell in the thickness. Is this the presence of God? Is God now once again dwelling with his chosen people? We saw that first it came in the tabernacle. Now in Solomon's temple, we see this once again, the glory of the Lord appeared and dwelled again, not in the tabernacle, but now in the temple. That word glory, the presence or the splendor of God now is dwelling with man. But you think about this. Did the nation of Israel sin once again? Did that glory depart once again? And was not that precious temple, the Solomon's temple, was it not destroyed? Was it not burnt? Was it not looted? Were not the children of Israel taken captive into Babylon? So now once again, the presence of God departs his chosen people. I ask you this morning, and here's the turning point of the message. Did that glory ever reappear? Answer that in your heart this morning. Did the glory of God ever reappear? Yes, it did. And when did it reappear? In the person of Jesus Christ, the glory of God appeared again. Remember we said when we studied the book of 1 John that it's the same writer as the gospel of John. And so they're intertwined. Go back to John chapter 1. Let's let the word of God tell us, did the glory of God ever reappear to mankind? John chapter 1, John is writing here. Look at what he says in verse number 1. And look together, please, at verse number 14. And the word, is it capitalized in your Bible? Yes, it is. What does that mean? It's speaking of deity. The Word, speaking of Jesus Christ. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means in the Greek, tabernacled. It, it, it came among us. So watch this. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His what? His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. So in Genesis, God walked with man. He walked with Adam. He walked with Eve. He walked with Adam and Eve. He walked with Abraham. He walked with Enoch. He walked with Noah. Some change is made in Genesis and Exodus. And now God is not walking with man in, in Exodus. He's dwelling among men. If you wanted to see the presence of God and experience that, you had to go to the tabernacle. You had to go to the temple but even in the tabernacle setting, the glory of the Lord departed. And then it came back in the, in the temple setting with Solomon's temple. But then once again, we saw in 1 Kings where it departed once again. Now, I'm going to say this to you. There is a presence of God on earth today. And it's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He dwells among us today. That should thrill every child of God. The glory of God now lives in the lives and bodies of every child of God. 1 Corinthians 6, preacher, prove that to me this morning. Where is that glory of God? Where does it abide today? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19, the apostle Paul says this, what? Know ye not that your body is the what? The temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. 
did the presence of God dwell in the earthly temple, in Solomon's temple? Yes, it did. So now when Jesus came, and those of you, those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, can we claim with assurance today that the presence of God is inside of us? Does He dwell in us? Yes, He does. So let's look at these truths. God is invisible. Is that true? Yes, it is. No man can see Him, but we can see His essence. You cannot look at creation, Romans 1 tells us. You cannot look at the stars and the moon. If you had no Bible, you had no teaching, you had no Christian radio, you had no missionary, you had no gospel preacher. It is impossible for you with an open mind to look at creation and not understand that there is a creator God behind it all. That's why our boys and girls in the public school environment, I believe today, do are done a disservice when they are taught the falsehood of evolution to try to destroy the presence of God in their heart. The Bible says in the book of Romans, the things of God are clearly seen in the things that He has created. <coughs> no man can see Him, but we can see His essence. Jesus is the image of the invisible God today. Colossians chapter 1. Turn with me if you would please. Colossians chapter number 1. And go together please in verse number 15. Colossians 1, 15. Back up if you would please to verse number 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Who's the Bible talking about? There's only one that shed His blood, that's Jesus Christ. A church didn't die for you, a church cannot save you. The waters of baptism cannot wash away your sin. Why? No church, no religious leader died, on, or died and paid for your sins. Jesus Christ, the sinless, holy Son of God, died on Calvary's cross, and by His death, He purchased our forgiveness of sins. Look at verse number 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So you think about this. Man cannot see God, but they can see you, and they can see me. If God stopped walking with man and He started dwelling in man, with man, which He truly did, first in the sanctuary, then in the temple, and now today, and His presence departed. But when Jesus came to earth, the, the image of the invisible God, and we by faith have trusted Christ as Savior, and the Bible tells us that now that Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God, comes to make His eternal abode inside each of us. What the world needs today, child of God, is children of God, born-again believers, to start to show the love of God to a lost and dying world. This world cannot see God. But if you claim to know God, they can see you. They cannot see God, but if I claim to know God, they should see God in me. Imagine the wonder and privilege of having God abiding in you. In the Old Testament, go with me, whether tabernacle or the temple, how close could the children of Israel get 
to the real presence of God. They could only get so close. Only one man, one time a year, could go underneath that veil of the temple, a type of, uh, of separation between God and man because man's sins had not, couldn't, had not been paid for. But you think about this. That high priest did not go underneath that veil without blood. You and I will not go into the eternal presence of God without the blood. We sing this song and how it refreshes our heart and soul. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you're here today or if you're watching online and you're trusting in anything other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ to, for salvation and to forgive you of your sins, may I encourage you this morning to turn away from that. That's what repentance is. Turn away from religion. Turn away from dogma. Turn away from a church. Turn away from teaching that teaches you away or leads you away from Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The nation of Israel, either in the tabernacle or the temple, could only get so close to the presence of God. But Hebrews tells us now to the, to the child of God today, come boldly unto his throne. How can we come boldly? We come boldly because Jesus paid for our sins at Calvary's cross. God doesn't judge us. We don't abide underneath his wrath. We abide under his mercy and his grace. Man cannot see God, but they can see us. Turn your Bible to John chapter 14. Go back there with me, if you would, please. John chapter number 14. And look at verse number 23. If you'll look together, please. John chapter 14 and verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. We will come unto him and make our what? Our abode with him. Is Jesus abiding in your heart today at this very moment? I want to show you some, some truths here. Go back now to 1 John, if you would please. Back to 1 John chapter number 4. God's love, we look at that already this morning. God's love is proclaimed through his word. I don't want you to hear this morning what Pastor Rogers or what Rocky Mountain Baptist Church thinks. I want you to hear the love of God proclaimed through the Word of God. God's love is proclaimed through the Word. Say it with me at home if you're there or if you're here present. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You don't need to perish in your sins. And, and I think about this. God gives us this promise. There is a way out. There's a way. We all will stand before God one day either in our sins or without our sins and our sins are covered in the blood of Christ. God's love is proclaimed in His Word and is proved on the cross Preacher, how can you tell me that God loved me? I point back some 2,000 years ago to Gordon, the place of Gordon's skull, the place of Calvary's cross, there on that Judean hill outside of Jerusalem, where he, the Bible says, if I be lifted up with from all men, I will draw all men unto me. And lifted up from the earth he was on Calvary's cross. He died for our sins. And Calvary's cross proves us how much God loves us. 
God's love is proclaimed in His Word. God's love is perfected in the believer. God's love is not made perfect in angels. God doesn't send His angels to show lost mankind today that He loves them. He sends you and He sends me to show that love. Turn in your Bible with me. Leave a marker there in 1 John. We're going to go to the 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 this morning. And look at verse number 1 through 6. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we've received mercy, we faint not. What ministry, Paul, are you talking about? We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, come commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. How can our gospel be hid? You say you're saved. You say you got God dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit of God. You say that you're changed. You say that you're a child of God, but yet you've never taken a track and told somebody about Jesus. When's the last time you opened your mouth and told somebody that God loves them and that Jesus came to a cross and died? Our gospel is hid. The world can't hide our gospel. You and I hide our gospel under a bushel. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Somebody's got to take the message of salvation to the lost and dying world. Somebody's got to tell Pueblo about Jesus. Somebody's got to tell Colorado about Jesus. Somebody's got to tell America about Jesus. Church of Jesus Christ, who's going to do it? You are, and I am. And if we don't, it won't be told. Our gospel will be hidden. Back to 1 John chapter 4. God's love is proclaimed in His Word and proved on the cross. God's love is perfected in the believer. Men cannot see God. They can't know God's love. But they can see you and they can see me. There are three witnesses mentioned here in 1 John. Look at the first of them in chapter, verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Here's the first witness. The witness of the believer that Jesus is the Son of God. Right now, this morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If you believe that something in your heart says, I haven't convinced you as a, as a preacher of the gospel, there's not any convincing needed on your part. You sit today, you rest in the idea that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, prompting you and helping you to understand you are a child of God because you believe that. Don't turn away from that. That's a part of the seal of your salvation, Lord will, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Here's the second witness. We look at the first witness there. We are the ones that need to tell the world. Number two, the witness in the believer by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 13. So we see the witness of the believer that Jesus is God 
Now the witness in the believer by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 13. How by know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. Do you love the brothers in Christ? That's the Spirit of God. That's testimony to your salvation. It's assurance of your salvation. First of all, because you believe Jesus is God. Second of all, you love the believers. That's, that is the Holy Spirit of God saying, you've got His Spirit. I say this oftentimes, if you ever met a cantankerous Christian, yep, they're hard to love. Right now, this morning, my heart is burdened about some of our people in our church that are faltering physically. I think about Brother Kevin Van Dyne today, and I pray for him. I think about Rebecca Davis, and I pray for her. I pray for Brother Bill Patrick, and I think about him, and others that have physical illnesses and weaknesses, and I think about this. Even though we're not gathered together this morning, I want you to understand, church body, your pastor loves you, and my heart is with you, and I've already bowed my knee this morning and many times throughout this week daily and carried your name before God in prayer. You don't have to make me do that. I'm not paid to do that. I want to do that because I love you. If you've got that ability in your heart to say that Jesus is the Son of God, that's the Spirit of God saying only a child of God can express that. If you have the ability today to say that I love the brethren in Christ, that is the Spirit of God helping you to understand that you dwell in Him. And consequently, if you think you're saved and you have no love for the child of God, according to the book of 1 John, you are, you are not you're not being told the truth and you're not being truthful with yourself. The Bible says if you hate the brethren, you do not dwell in God. Number three, the third witness. We have the first witness of the believer that Jesus is God. The second witness in the believer by the Spirit of God. And the third witness is through the believer that God is love. This is the one I want to finish with this morning. The witness through the believer. Child of God, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, as you watch from home, is it your understanding and belief that Jesus is the answer for the world? So now that witness needs to come through you. We've got to get beyond this thing of whether or not we're saved. The witness of the Spirit comes and says this. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you're saved. If you believe and you love their brethren, you're saved. Now get beyond that and go tell somebody. Too many Christians come to church only for what I can get and what I need. And the truth of the matter is, Pueblo is cringing. Pueblo is dying. Look on every street corner. See somebody with a sign. See somebody that is hurting. See somebody that is overrun with drugs. And what are we doing? We're worried about what we need and what we want and what we deserve. And there's a witness that needs to come through us to a lost and dying world. Have you told somebody that God loves them? Do we really believe it? This is the witness of the Holy Spirit. He wants to witness through us. The world will not believe that God loves sinners until they see that God, God's love in the lives of those who profess Christ. 
How can I know if I love God, preacher? The old house, my dad moved an old house from Colorado Springs out to the country in Ellicott. That home was heated by hot water heat. I remember many times the, the heat would go off in that house. And I remember going down to that, to that basement looking at that boiler. I remember sometimes as a little boy curious when dad would go down there to work on that boiler. And I'd say, dad, how do you know if the boiler's working? How do you know if there's any water in the boiler? You can't look inside the boiler. And dad would say, son, look at this gauge on the outside. That gauge doesn't lie. If that gauge shows no water, there's no water. If that gauge shows half full of water, there's half full of water. If it shows it all the way full of water, then it is full of water. You can't look inside that boiler. I think about this. What is that gauge in the heart of every child of God? How can I know if I love God? Do you love God's people? Do you love the lost and dying? Do you love the lost sinner? That is the gauge where God tells us that you love me. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't abide under the wrath of God. You abide under the love of God. We ought to quit letting the devil defeat us by making us look back at past sins or under Calvary's cross. Read the story this week about, true story, in Chicago on a busy street corner there was a Salvation Army they were having a service after a meal one night. On a cold wintry night, as some of the people came in, they walked past a transient woman outside. Her, her clothes stunk with the smell of the world. Her hair was greasy and matted. She had no makeup on. Her clothes were tattered. And many of those inside, one by one, went out and told the lady, listen, we've got a warm meal inside. Won't you come in and... And the preacher's going to be preaching. The lady didn't respond. She just stayed outside. And another one would go outside and say, listen, why don't you come inside where it's warm? And, and she didn't come inside. Till finally one lady was so burdened for that transient woman that she went out. And she said, won't you come inside? And the lady didn't answer. And so the lady just said, I hope I see you inside. And she reached up and she kissed her. Pretty soon that transient woman came inside. The meal was over. Now she was seated as a man, as a preacher, talked about Jesus. And who came down that aisle to receive Jesus Christ as Savior other than that transient woman? And she later on said, the others that came out told me that God loved me. But that one that kissed me showed me God loved me. Somebody today is waiting for you and waiting for me to show them that God loves them. Here's the conclusion this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Preacher, what are you talking about? Because God is love, we can love somebody. True or false? Might start with the one that hates you the most. Think about who it is this morning that literally does not care for you, despises you. Can I encourage you to do something today? Can I encourage you to pray for them? 
I promise you this, I've experienced this in my own life, people that hated me, that wanted my, uh, came after me, and it was hard not to retaliate, but just begin to pray for them. And through a course of time, what a change God made in my life. First John chapter 4 and verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Because God is love, we can love somebody. I'm going to say this to you as we close. His love is not past history, but present day reality. Some of you going back to the cross said, Preacher, I know He loved me when He came to He came in Bethlehem's manger. I know He loved me on Calvary's cross. No, He loves you today. And if you're listening this morning, you don't know Jesus. He would He loves you today, and He wants you to come and by faith trust Him as your Savior. You'll experience that love. Number two, the better we know God, the more we have the capacity to love others. Number three. Unless we love the lost, our verbal witness to them may be wasted. Can I say that again? Unless we love the lost, our verbal witness to them may be wasted. Somebody that God has touched your heart with, before you share the gospel, you may need to buy them a pair of shoes. You may need to buy them a warm meal. You may have to pay an electric bill. You may have to fix a broken car. You say, Preacher, I don't understand that. The, the, unless we love the lost, our verbal witness to them may go by the wayside. Number four, the gospel message is one of love. If you get anything out of the message this morning, walk away with this. God loves you. He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross to prove that love. He's waiting for you to respond to that love. I believe this with all of my heart. One of the reasons God allows the world to hate Christians is so that Christians may return the love for hatred. That's Christian living. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's, it's easy to do. Two aspects of the Christian life cannot be separated. If we love God, we'll love one another. And when we love one another, we'll grow in our love for God. I love American history. In the Korean War, we lost a battleship, USS Pueblo. I was thankful, I think, under the second year of the Trump administration that we received the remains of some of those sailors back. Some of the things that belonged to us, we got them back. I remember studying about that USS Pueblo, and when the North Koreans captured that ship, had 82 of our sailors aboard, and they were thrown into a concentration camp that was horrible. Literally, they took those 82 sailors and they put them around a table and they, they made them sit, every person, in the same spot. Lack of food and they were deteriorating mentally and physically. And on the third day, a North Korean soldier came in and he saw one of our sailors sit in chair number one and he beat him unmercifully. The rest of the 81 sailors looked at that sailor and their heart went out to him, but there wasn't anything they could do and they all just sat in their chair. Day number two, the door opened again and 
that poor sailor who has been, had been beaten on day number one was now beaten on day number two and even more severely. Once again, the sailors didn't know what they could do. Day number three, door opened up again and that North Korean soldier came in and beat that man almost till he died. Something happened after that. All of these sailors said this, if we don't do something for him, he's going to die. On day number four, when that Korean soldier came in to beat the man in chair number one, there was a brand new soldier in chair number one. And day number five, there was a brand new soldier in, 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 in sailor in chair number one. And day number six, there was a brand new sailor in chair number one. And they switched that till finally at the end of two weeks, the North Korean guard understood this and soldier understood this. I've got to give up. These men love each other so much they are willing to be beaten and died for each other. Can I say this, Church of Jesus Christ, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, we can have a pure gospel. We can have a pure message. We can have a pure doctrine. The world's waiting for us to show that love of God to them by our actions. Father, we come to you this morning. We look back to Calvary's cross and we thank you. As the Apostle Paul said, for that unspeakable gift. You loved us when we were sinners. You loved us when we were unloving. You loved us not because of who we are, but because of who you were. And this morning, Father, I pray, not knowing each and every one that will hear this message this morning, but it is my prayer and has been my prayer that you would take this message and somebody is listening this morning that does not know Christ as Savior, may they turn away from a prayer prayed. May they turn away from a dogma that is followed. May they turn away from a church, the embrace of a church, and may they turn by faith to Jesus Christ and Him alone. But for the child of God that is listening to this message, would you put the love of God in our hearts? Would you speak to us with such strong conviction this morning that tomorrow, if you tarry your coming and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, till we meet again, that each and every day your Holy Spirit would speak to us and tell us who you want us to reach out to and love. May we tell somebody about Jesus this week. It may mean, Father, that we have to buy a change of clothes for someone. It might mean that we have to buy a meal or share a meal with someone. It might mean that we first have to reach out tangibly, financially, physically, before we tell somebody about Jesus spiritually. Lord, you take this message. Don't just put it on our heart for the next hour. Father, I pray you change us for Christ's sake. Thank you for the love that you showed to us by sending your son to Calvary's cross. I pray that your love would be perfected in us. In Jesus' name we pray.